and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. That's Jesse Rubinoff over there shaking his arms like Kevin Mickey. I'm Tim McAuliffe over here just sitting on my chair. This is Tim and Friends for Thursday, October 27th, 2022. Did you see Mickey while you were off yeah, doing kind of some weird thing. arm motions? Yeah. But it was more like a... All over the place? Yeah. Like wasn't one of those, just like, uh, you, you do this a lot. Like, there's a lot of shit. And I would, like, just to be honest with you, for both of your sakes, I, I would be very afraid of a meme. Uh, yeah, Brian Leach watches the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the things that he could do. Now, Brian Leach is uh, a wonderful friend of the show mm -hmm. who does a lot of stuff for us. Mm -hmm. Most of it very kind. Now, he, he does nice things. There are those out there that do things that aren't as nice. Yeah. Well, whatever. We welcome those, too. <laughs> it's all interaction, right? Are you sure? Well... Try and keep it nice. Do you know what I'm talking it about? It would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Just make it yeah, sure. Yeah, I got you. 90 <laughs> minutes of whole grain goodness coming your way today ahead of Hockey Central on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. That Hockey Central jam-packed today. As are we, six Canadian teams on Frozen Pond tonight. This after a pretty impressive night for the Raptors. Not the Sixers. Not the Nets. And certainly not the Lakers, outside of their own fans, of course. Mm -hmm. Is there a crash and burn Jesse Rubinoff Canada that the world is enjoying more than the Los Angeles Lakers? I can think of one that's maybe on par. Russell Wilson. Yeah, I was going to say uh, high knees. High knees. Yeah. That's pretty much it. But they're going blow for blow right now, Russell Wilson and the Lakers. Yeah, and it's two Russells, eh? It is two Russells. In the end, it's two Russells that are taking the, the brunt on both of those occasions. Yeah. Uh, Broncos or Lakers, Westbrook, Wilson. Yeah, and it's hard to know who's in a worse spot right now, too, because they are both down very bad. Oh, very, very bad. Yeah. Very bad. I mean... With that kind of talent that the Lakers have, there is a chance that they find it, or there's a chance that Rob Palenka saunters down, does a little media, and ends up giving us his, uh, like something like his best Jim Mora. Well, what happened was that second game, we got our ass kicked, or the second half, we just got our ass totally kicked. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively we couldn't make a first down we couldn't run the ball we didn't try to run the ball we couldn't complete a pass we sucked the second half we sucked we couldn't stop the run every time they got the ball they went down and got points we got our ass totally kicked in the second half that's what it boiled down to it was a horse performance in the second half horse i'm totally embarrassed and totally ashamed coaching we our coaching did a horrible job the players did a horrible job we got our ass kicked in that second half. It sucked. It stunk. <laughs> and, and that might not even be his best rant ever. I know. He, he had some good ones. Uh, but you said Palinka. Like, isn't he responsible for this? This roster construction? I mean, you can make the argument that the GM, LeBron, behind the scenes pulls all the strings, but... Yeah, I mean, someone eventually, someone eventually has to be held accountable. Like, just once these days, I would love... 
to see something like that. Like, there's a brand new ability that we need to bring to the table in 2022, and that ability, Jesse, is accountability. <laughs> right. And there are so many people that want absolutely nothing to do with it. So mm-hmm. I don't care if it's LeBron walking out there and saying, I don't care if it's Darvin Ham walking out there and saying, I don't care if it's Rob Palenka walking out there and saying, someone every once in a while needs to just come out and tell the truth. And I think Jim Mora did that. Now, can you imagine if Jim Mora was coaching now and someone came out and said that? Like, the the only person that comes anywhere close to that is Daryl Sutter. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be refreshing. John Tortorella, maybe? It, not really anymore. Like, it, it would be incredibly refreshing because we don't really get those clips anymore. No, we don't. Because you know how quickly it spreads like wildfire. No, and, I mean, and we and had a guy to in Toronto it. who said something mm-hmm. somewhat close and then immediately had to come out and walk it back. Yeah. We'll get into all this. Listen, when it's time to praise, we will praise. Of course, I got into sports because it's fun. Jesse got into sports because it's fun. But every once in a while... Jim Bora needs to pop by. It's good for you. It's good for me. And honestly, it's just good. <laughs> Kenny the Jet Smith, Dan Murphy, Sam Cosentino all lined up for the next 90 minutes. So please settle in, kids. And it all starts with uh, what everyone's talking about. Jesse Rubinoff, first things first. So let's take him to town, Kwame Brown. Thought I'd say this. Lakers could use Kwame Brown right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not bad. Right? Uh, all right, let's start with the Toronto Raptors. They beat the Sixers 119-109 last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toronto jumped out to an early lead behind 15 first quarter points from Pascal Siakam. And Gary Trent carried the load late, scoring 21 of his season-high 27 points. In the second half, Siakam finished with a career-high 13 assists to go along with 20 points and 5 rebounds. Most people scoffed when he said he wanted to be a top five player in the league. But with the way he started, is it that unrealistic, Timmy? You know, I don't mind the scoffing. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of being a professional is having supreme and utter confidence in your game. I've never had a problem when an athlete sets high expectations for themselves. Sometimes that can lead to disappointment or even ridicule when it doesn't happen. But he was all NBA last year, so He's starting at top 15, depending on who's healthy, yep. right? Yep. So you're, he's already pretty damn close. Here's what I loved about last night and Pascal Siakam's game. And the kind of thing that will make him top 10, dare I say. Mm-hmm. I don't know about top 5, but hear me out on this. P.J. Tucker played for the Raptors. Knows Siakam well. And he started... On Siakam. He was guarding Pascal in that monster first quarter for Siakam. And the game plan from Doc and PJ was simple. Let Pascal shoot. Tucker was slagging down on Pascal. Bam, I tell him about it. Tucker was going under screens. Mouth and lip. Tell him about it. Pascal hit shot after shot and told them all about it on the way to 15 in the first. So the Sixers adjust. And they give him... The superstar treatment. They throw double teams at him. They blitz him. And Pascal tears him apart for 13 dimes. I mean, it was surgical. It was clinical. It was mature. And it was a type of game that superstars have. You want me to score? Sure. I'll shoot it in your eye. You want me, you want to take that away? Sure. I'll find another way to whoop your ass, to quote Jim Mora. And he did. I don't know that he's a top five player in the league. I do know this. Pascal Siakam is just the fourth forward 
in NBA history to average 25, 9, and 8 through their first five games of the season. The other dudes, Havlicek in 70, Bird in 87, LeBron in 2007, and Pascal Siakam. That's the list. And think who he's done it against. The Cavs, pretty good. Nets, Heat, and Sixers. Not bad, not bad at all. And Siakam has lived up to what he said to start the season. Yeah, you could call him Pascal Siakim, the way he's playing. You don't get it, eh? Him? I'm him? You know that thing? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Okay, so I agree with you. He is I thought playing... you said Kim, no. as in Lil' Kim. No. It, it looks better when you, you write it out than when you say it. Okay. Um, I'll believe you. I agree. With, I, 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 Pascal is definitely playing the best basketball of his career right now. No, those, there, there, there's been... There's been spurts from Pascal. And, and that's what I wanted to bring up. Specifically, right. in his 2019-20 season, his all-star campaign, he started the year on fire. His first game was an overtime game, but 34 points, 18 boards. And the rest of that month of October, which is five games, similar sample size to what you have right now, he had 28, 9, obviously not the same assist numbers, but the field goal percentage is crazy. The three-point percentage was crazy. Great start. So he came out of the gates smoking hot. And then the rest of the season, there was a significant drop-off that began in November when he dipped to about 24 points per game and everything across the board sort of fell. So while this is clearly um, the most well-rounded, we can say that he's played, the assist numbers are way better than they've ever been. He has started well in the past, and it's a matter for me if he can sustain this level of play over the course of an 82-game season. Obviously, it's a, it's a long way to go, and it's difficult, but if he can sustain it, then the upside for this team is higher than anybody thought. I agree with you, and one of the one of the tenets of Tim McAuliffe watching sports is the difference between good and great is consistency, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, if obviously he's not going to keep up the first five games pace, otherwise that would be one of the most legendary seasons in Ever. NBA history. Literally. But good teams, what they do is they have different guys who can take over games, mm-hmm. and I thought that what was that was what was important about last night's game was you also saw Gary Trent Jr. Shoot it. He's nasty. And he was five of... But let's be honest here, and if you're going to call Pascal on this, Gary Trent Jr. is not consistent either. Mm -mm. And the difference between good and great is consistency. If they get consistent shooting from Gary Trent Jr., I think that's more important. We've seen Pascal do similar things before. If Gary Trent Jr. takes it to a different level, a lot of people were waiting for Scotty Barnes to take it to a different level. By the way, uh, Scotty and Pascal have a little have a, have the a mind lot meld? of chemistry. Yeah, a lot of chemistry. The Matt Stafford Cooper Cup stuff four, going on. Four assists that Pascal had yeah. were to Scotty Barnes. But Gary Trent Jr. had 27 in this one. He was five of ten from three. If that they get that kind of spot shooting from Gary Trent Jr. that changes this team in the half court set, that changes this team in transition, that just changes this team. So I I would challenge you that while Pascal, yes, consistency will be the key for him, you kind of sort of know what you're going to get from him. There were those who thought for a while that he wasn't going to be the player that you saw in his Mm all-star year. 
I think we understood what that was. I think we understood the COVID year hit him harder. I think we understood that his confidence was hurt yep. and that he was still trying to find his place in this team. I think he knows his place in this team. I know he know, knows his place in the, in the league and he works damn hard when he wants to. And when he does that, he's really, really good. Yeah. Gary Chent Jr. is a bigger X factor for this team. And I'm not asking him to shoot 50% from three, but if he shot 42 or 40, this could be a different team. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And you wonder if, you know, sometimes when you're in a contract year, free agency coming up for Gary Trent, maybe you take that, that extra step as well and perform a little bit better than you have in years past. Uh, the Sixers are one and four on the season. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about that with Kenny the Jet Smith coming up. But Will Lou did a wonderful, uh, he, he clipped a bunch of Joel Embiid not contesting shots on defense. And I know that we have that role, guys. If you could just give it to me for a split second. After the loss to the Spurs on Saturday for the Sixers, there was a quote from Doc Rivers. And at the end of the quote, he basically said, it's okay, we're not gonna, we can win some games. You still gotta go out there and earn the game. And Rivers talked about P.J. Tucker yelling after the game, and he was right, you can't pick and choose when we're going to show up. And I thought, for a team that has been together this long, that's really damning. Mm -hmm. And then to see what Will Lou put out there on Twitter, when you just saw Joel Embiid half-assing it on defense, and I know he's dealing with plantar fasciitis, and I know that there's other parts of this equation, like James Harden dribbling the ball a lot, and <laughs> Tyrese Maxey still trying to find his spot, even yeah. though we all recognize, especially against the Raptors and Fred Van Vliet, that he is remarkably explosive. I wonder if this team isn't remarkably explosive, and we'll talk about that with Kenny the Jet Smith coming up. Yeah, it's... They, they, when they are unleashed, they are very good, but they have to do the unleashing. You got to bring it every night or the NBA you're going to get. Yeah. You're going to lose your fair share of games. I think there's more than that there, though. Yeah. Okay. We'll ask Kenny. To hockey, the Oilers avenged Saturday's shutout loss to the Blues with a 3-1 win in St. Louis last night. They're right back at it tonight as they visit the suddenly streaking Blackhawks, who have won four in a row. They're one of six Canadian teams in action tonight on a busy night in the NHL. Which game are you most interested in? Listen, you know I try and watch as much as I possibly can while still <laughs> attempting to be a decent dad. Um, I thought the Oilers <laughs> just won a game that they didn't win in the last little while or decade. <laughs> like, the Blues are exactly the type of team that they struggle with, that can bog you down, that can beat you up a little bit and have some real good goaltending, mm -hmm. slow down the pace, make you play the game they want to play, and then beat you with it. And the Oilers didn't make the mistake that St. Louis was banking on as they searched for some offense. And let's be honest, the offense hasn't really come for Edmonton over the last couple games. Like, they stuck with the game plan and they won. And that, to me, is a step for the Edmonton Oilers. And RNH, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, was a big part of that. Last year, he was getting ripped for his five-on-five -five play. He had seven even strengths goals all of last year. He's already got four. Mm -hmm. That leads the team, as well as two game winners. Add Stuart Skinner doing his thing. And I, I really like the win for Edmonton. And I want to see if they can follow that up tonight in Chicago. Isn't this what I think when... When Jay Woodcroft showed up last year, yep. 
And the first few weeks, I think you got a little bit of a taste of, of the difference, and it was the defensive structure. And it was the five-on-five five numbers. And the five-on-five five numbers. Mm-hmm. And maybe they lost that a little bit along the way, but to your point, like that is, that is a different element for this team that you haven't seen very long. And winning games when McDavid has one point in three games is an exceptional start to the season for the Oilers. Without a doubt. And I also think the Leafs are in a similar boat Mm -hmm. as Edmonton where can you find other ways to win than just having your stars absolutely put you on their back and carry you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure San Jose is the test tonight, but you got (laughs) to start somewhere. And speaking of starting somewhere, what Vancouver team shows up tonight in Seattle? So those, those are some of the things that I'm looking forward to tonight and a busy night on the ice. It is a busy night on the ice, Uh, and week eight in the National Football League begins tonight as well as the Baltimore Ravens visit the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Thursday nighter. Tampa coming off a shocking loss to the Carolina Panthers, and they've lost four of their last five games after a 2-0 start. What's going on with Tom here? Can he figure it out? The road is littered with folks who bet against Tom Brady. Uh, I've said that numerous times on the show and will continue to say it because I have been one of them in the past and will be one of them again. As Jesse knows, because I sent it to him earlier today, knowing full well that we were going to talk about this, I bet the Bucks under at 11.5 wins. As you know, Jesse, I have strict limits on what I will gamble, and what I sent you is about my highest unit. Mm -hmm. I will not go past it. It's a good idea for all of you. Have limits, don't go anywhere near them, and don't chase. (laughs) Here's why I bet it. There was nowhere near enough folks who focused their attention on the offensive line. We tried to tell you numerous times at the start of the year that this was going to be tough for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I know the not showing up for practice, the Giselle Page 5 stuff is sexy for some. But if you want to know about sports, you come to Tim and Friends. Look at the banged up and high turnover offensive lines in the league right mm-hmm. now. The Bucks are struggling. The Rams turnover and injuries. Matt Stafford, hero last year. Right now he's 21st in the league in passer rating. One behind the benched Matt Ryan. Okay? The Chargers offensive line is beat up. And Justin Herbert goes from superstar on the rise to average. He was third in QBR last year. He is 13th right now. Doesn't mean he forgot how to play. It just means it's harder, a lot harder. And the only man who threw for more yards and finished ahead of Herbert in QBR last year was one Tom Brady. So if Herbert can't pull it off at the age of 24, (laughs) how the hell is Brady going to pull it off at the age of 45? And it's not just Brady. The run game sucks, too. Leonard Fournette's numbers are way down. The Bucs were bottom third in the league in rushing last year, but they were tied for 15th in yards per carry. So when they needed to run the ball, they kind of sort of could run the ball. Right now, they're dead last in both yards per game and yards per carry, just behind the Rams, who are second to last. Starting to see what I'm talking about here? The O-line gets better or the Bucks lose the worst division in football. For me, it's almost as simple as that. Do you feel like when you watch him freak out and throw tablets on the sideline and, and lay into his offensive line like we've seen numerous times this season, do you think there's a different level of desperation now than in years past 
because we have, we don't see the spark coming after that. Usually the team does respond to him behaving like that, but now we're not seeing it. And it seems, feels like he's desperate to me. When, when you're the GOAT, you get a lot of leeway, mm -hmm. like a lot of leeway. But when you're not playing like the GOAT and you're doing the same things you did as the GOAT, it's not as cute. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I understand he has earned himself a ton with the rings that he can bring to Robert Kraft's wedding. Yeah. Yes. Okay? And miss a walkthrough, yes. And, and miss the walkthrough to yeah. go to that wedding. Everyone in that locker room understands it. But I'm going to tell you right now, if he misses receivers and he's not as good and the team's not winning, this ain't as cute anymore. And big, grown-ass man, look at him and say, go bleep yourself. Yeah. They'll never say that to the media. You'll never hear it. In fact, you heard the opposite. Someone said, I love when Tom yells at us. Shows the passion that he has. I'm going to tell you that wears really thin when you're not winning games. Mm -hmm. Also dealing with a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the football and the Ravens. Looks like Mark Andrews will play. I know that he was questionable, but he's hopeful currently to play. A big injury in the National Football League that broke less than an hour ago. Jamar Chase, wide receiver superstar for the Cincinnati Bengals, is out four to six weeks hip with injury. a hip injury yeah. uh, suffered in this game against the Falcons. Uh, that is just a, a devastating blow for a team that looked like they had started to figure out after a slow start to the year. Yeah, I did on Timmy's top five on Monday. Were you here for Monday? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you were here on Monday. Yeah. You've been out for a while. So sure. <laughs> no, I understand. But I, I did the exact same thing. Like, this is the team ready to turn the corner. Joe Burrow looked unbelievable. They are, almost had 300-yard receivers. They do have some depth, that receiver, but that's obviously a huge blow yeah. for the Cincinnati Bengals in a very winnable division right now. Doesn't sound good either. Hip specialists. I mean, it's four to six now, but you never know what's, what's down the pipe. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Let's go to baseball. Game one of the World Series goes tomorrow in Houston. The Astros announced today that Justin Verlander will start game one against the Phillies. Aaron Nola, the 39-year-old Verlander, will be the fourth oldest pitcher to start Game 1 of the World Series and will join Roger Clemens as the only pitchers to start a World Series game in three different decades. Meanwhile, Phillies manager Rob Thompson will become the first Canadian to manage a World Series game. And earlier today, he was asked what that means to him. It's great. I'm a proud Canadian. I love my country. I love what we stand for. Um, but to tell you the truth, I'm just happy to be managing a team in the World Series. You know, I've heard from a lot of people back home that, you know, everybody's behind us, you know, it's a big story, and, and that's great, you know. Um, but it is what it is. What's the uh, most interesting storyline heading into this year's Fall Classic? It is what it is. I, that's one of them for me, just because I'm a proud Canadian. Mm. The Dusty, the two managers are both wonderfully interesting for two completely different reasons one of them taking over the team mid-year the other one taking over a team that was amidst the most tur turmoil that we've seen in the last little while having been in and around winners before and never winning like dusty baker is 73 years old he has led five teams over 25 years he has never managed a world series winner Amazing. he has been to the postseason 11 times including his last eight years as a manager, and he is yet to win a World Series. So the manager's line is really interesting to me. And then, let's be honest, 2017 is tainted for the Astros. 
I think they really want to prove that this organization yeah. is the best in Major League Baseball, no matter if they cheated or not. So I think that might be the top storyline. Because if they lose again, there will be people that say that the only reason they won in 2017 was because they knew what was coming. The garbage cans. Uh, do you not feel like that the first two games are the difference here? Like the pitching of Verlander yeah. and Fran Valdez for the Astros and Nola and Wheeler. Like the Phillies, if they perform the first two games, I guess they can make a series of this. Yeah, another guy who struggled in the World Series, uh, Justin Verlander. Mm -hmm. We'll have more on that tomorrow as the series gets going. Love it. Uh, but without a doubt, yeah, those first two games will play a factor. But again, I just... I think the Astros are They're really good. Yeah. Uh, still to come, Sam Cosentino joins us ahead of a packed night on the ice, including six Canadian teams. Carolyn Cameron joined by Daniel Ness to discuss an initiative to grow the game of tennis in our home and native land. And after the break, the legendary Kenny the Jet Smith with his thoughts on the Raptors, Nets, and even that uh, dumpster fire that is the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> Timber Friends, Prodigy. Foul. Steve Nash was working for that. I have never seen Steve Nash. This upset. No, I didn't think that was fair, so uh, I don't think I was overly demonstrative, and I was upset that I got attacked. I don't like to lose. I hate to lose. Russell pull up. Oh. No, Russ, no. He missed it. I mean, we can't <laughs> shoot a penny in the ocean. I'm not really sure what to do. This is a bad-looking team right now. Now reverses it. Maverick pull up. Three-point shot again by the rookie. Love the energy that comes off Madeline. Blue Shark. Oh, a tough pass. Turned over. What a save. Skinner denied. Marvin Jam. Excellent goaltending by Stuart Skinner. Closes the door. Raptors and Sixers. First of two straight here in this building. Four on the clock. It's Pascal. Three point. Four of four. P.J. Tucker giving him space, and he knocks <laughs> down to Jimmy saying, hey, man, you better guard me. Trent Jr., he's been huge tonight. Gary Trent Jr., 27 points. Raptors take it. The whole culture of the Lakers is teetering. And they might waste LeBron James in the latter stages in the twilight of his career if they can't find a way to either turn it around with this group or make some moves to get some shooting and to help James, who is 0-4 for just the second time in his career. The first time was as a rookie. Mills picks him up in transition. Steve Nash pleading for a call. And we're going to get a technical foul. Steve Nash was working for that. And now he's incredulous. Steve Nash is incensed. Steve Nash is going to watch the rest of this game from the Brooklyn Nets locker room. An eventful night in the NBA last night. Not sure it's like a TNT double dip, but we do have our own doubleheader on Sportsnet 1, and it's pretty damn good. First up, Luka and the Mavs in Brooklyn to face these struggling Nets. It's followed by the Heat and the Warriors. Today, Forbes named the Warriors as the most valuable NBA franchise for the first time. The valuation on them, $7 billion. About the salary of our next guest, New Deal, with <laughs> TNT, ladies and gentlemen, from inside the NBA. And many Thursdays here on Tim and Friends, it's Kenny the Jasmine. What up, Kenny? Why are you selling me short with seven billion? <laughs> <laughs> Is it more than seven billion? I gotta I gotta get down south if it's more than seven no billion. Doubt. No doubt. No doubt. How you doing, man? I, I am very well. How you doing? 
I'm good. I, I, it's interesting uh, as I watch that. Is I, first of all to see Steve Nash. Oh my incredulous. <laughs> he wasn't even bad. the word incredulous used in a basketball game. <laughs> but Steve Nash, he's a Canadian. You know, you know, Canadian people do not get upset. <laughs> they are like the most docile, uh, get along people in the world. I've actually never seen him like that, even as a player. So, which was very. Uh, interesting to see him in that regard. I uh, I have been to a few Team Canada camps in practice where I saw Steve take it to like level. This is level ten. I've seen him at at boat and eight, and and I always thought like he must have got thrown out as a coach. Nope. How many times did he get thrown out as a player? I think it was only twice in eighteen years he was thrown out of a game for two T's. So it doesn't happen very much. And I always say don't take the kindness for weakness. But, man, he was pissed last night. Yeah, don't take the kindness for weakness, but don't take the craziness as a normality. That's not <laughs> yeah. That definitely is not him. All right, so who were you worried about most? Nash's Nets, LeBron's Lakers, or the Philadelphia 76ers who we saw yesterday here in Toronto fall the 1-4? and four? The Lakers. Yeah. Because the other two teams have the personnel that can actually change it around. <laughs> So if you say yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. you have Kevin Durant, you have Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn, you have a guy in Ben Simmons who hasn't played basketball in, what, two years, uh, who, you know, basically, even his body doesn't look the same as when he left. So you have a Ben Simmons, um, you know, you say they can get it done. You, you look at, you know, Philadelphia. They've got Harden and they've got an MVP candidate and uh, B. They could possibly get it done. I don't know if the Lakers personnel – is actually can get it done. That's who I would be most worried about. So of the uh, of the 74 NBA championships we've seen, uh, including two won by one Kenneth Alejandro Smith. I don't know your middle name, but I just gave you one. It's probably nowhere close to it. <laughs> I don't have one, actually. Oh, you, you don't have a middle name? You say Kenny Smith, you said it all. I did. The Jet. The Jet is the middle name. Although, I think Alejandro's got a certain ring to it. I'm going to be honest with you. I like that. <laughs> um, no team has ever won the title after an 0-4 start. So, like, this, this Lakers team, the only way they get out of it is a trade, and there's no real trade to make. Like, they don't have enough shooting. The roster construction leaves them in a spot where everyone can defend them the way they've been defended through four games. No? Well, it's kind of, you know, they were really going to have to wait until about 20 games in. Yeah. Because you're going to have some people that go, this is my experience of seeing this. You're going to have some people say, wow, we're not as good as we thought we were. And you're going to have some players saying, I'm not as happy as I thought I'd be right. either. And so then the value of other guys might be valuable to someone. But if you look at their roster the way it is, I'm not sure who's valuable on that team to someone else at this point, especially because you've exposed the way you play. So is Pat Beverly as valuable as he was before? No, not really. Um, you know, is Toscano as valuable as he was with mm -hmm. the Golden State Warriors? Not really. Um, is Russ as valuable to, you know, his contract? Not really. So you got to wait 20 games until someone else needs something now because you've exposed or put the lack of value even in some of the pieces that you might be thinking of moving. Right. Um, I've got to look at the Sixers a couple of times, and uh, the nerds tell me that they're playing at the slowest pace that we've ever seen in the NBA in like six seasons. 
Uh, someone wrote into the show, I just learned that someone counts the dribbles in the NBA. What a world as we were talking about <laughs> James Harden having more dribbles than the rest of the team. I'm going a long way to say it seems like they've geared their offense to Harden. Is that something you think can still work eventually? Well, I, I, you know, I think opening night, I didn't think they'd be one and four, but I said they play too slow. I was like, this is not going to work. And, the, and the, the thing that happened was they, at the beginning of the season, I heard Doc Rivers in an interview say, hey, I want James to be James. Right. Last year, I thought he was too much of a passer and it hurt us. So I was like, yeah, now they're too much of James. And so they're trying to find that middle ground of him being a scorer along with the passer. Uh, I think he feels he needs more scoring. Uh, but I think eventually, if I was the Philadelphia 76ers, the first thing I'd be doing is looking for a point guard. I would look for a point guard who James would say, I could play with this guy because he can only play the point. So I have to let him have the basketball. Right. Like a Tyrese Maxey is a guy who versatile. does Versatile. Versatile. So he doesn't feel that he does the, that. But I'm not saying that this is a guy, but a guy like Rajon Rondo or Van Fleet, you know, I'm right. watching the highlight. He, he is a point guard. You can't put him anywhere else. So he would give him the ball. Guys like that. Uh, but don't discredit your Toronto Raptors. They would have beat them even if they were moving and rolling. That is a very, very talented team up there in Toronto. Okay, so let, let's hammer in on that because a lot of people love hearing you say that. Uh, Pascal Siakam said that he I said wanted, it last week. You did say it last week. This, is, this yeah. is two times in a row. Pascal said he wanted to be top five in the league. And I, I get those are statements that you want your guy to say. And while I think a lot of his game, I thought, wow, that's a lot. But this is now a small sample size. I get it. But... My guy is one of four forwards in NBA history to average 25, 9, and 8 through their first five games of the season. The other four, or the other three, are Hondo, Bird, and LeBron. Do you think Pascal can get to the elite of the elite level? Well, the, the thing about Pascal is we, we've seen he could be really good at one year when yeah. you guys won the championship. Then we've seen he could be an all-star. Now he's telling us he could be great. But if you look at, you know, I didn't even know those stats, honestly. And my question was going to be to you. Um, are there four guys? Telephone, Kenny. Yeah, no, that's actually the door with deliveries. <laughs> oh, <nice. laughs> are, are there actually four guys in the NBA who are better than him at the things he does? And I'd say no. You know, there aren't four guys better than him. You know, so he's a he's a six foot nine who can handle the ball. Are there any six? I mean, four guys his size that could do what he just did with the basketball. No. Are there four guys who could shoot the perimeter better than him at his size? I would say not four. Not so you start adding up these things and you go, the only thing you haven't done, Pascal, is you haven't done it every night. Right. Can you do this for 82 games, which is carrying a basketball team? That's what Giannis does. That's what you know, the great players, LeBron, that's what all these guys have done it. They've done it over multiple games, and that's what we'll see. Yeah, the difference between good and great is consistency is what Jesse and I were talking about mm -hmm. at the start 100%. of the show. And okay. then you add in Scotty Barnes, who's emerging. You add in Van Fleet, who's already there. You know, this Like, what are we team, talking here? Like, what's the this ceiling? Team, this team has more 
has better personnel than the team that you guys won with. Other than you don't have a dynamic, he has no one's proven that they could be dynamic for seven game series mm-hmm. like Kawhi was. Yeah. But in terms of one through twelve, if I went through and we said, if I put Kawhi in this lineup, I'm like, oh, they're, they're the best team in the league by far, by far. It's funny you say that because you and I have had this conversation before. I brought it up to Masai uh, before he traded for Kawhi, but <laughs> there aren't a lot of teams that don't win with the MVP on the roster, right? Like. Literally, the only teams that have ever won since 70, since Slick Watts and Lenny Wilkins in Seattle in 79 won, Kenny. The only teams to win without an MVP current, future, or past on the roster were the Bad Boy Pistons, and Isaiah was pretty damn good. Um, there were the All-Star Pistons and the Toronto Raptors. And you could argue that Kawhi, if he ever played a full season, is MVP-like. So... Is this team, as you say that depth, can you see this team being that as good as those bad boy Pistons or that Rasheed Wallace addition to the Pistons that took the Wallaces and the Billups over the top? Yes. Wow. And they might have the personnel already. They might not have to go find it. Uh, if OG turns into what he's turning out to be, if Scotty Barnes turns out to be what he's turning out to be, um, it's already on the roster. Um, so their experience and consistency away from being top three consistently elite in the NBA. They're just, they just haven't done it long enough. They've only done it in short stints. And they've gotten better this year than they were last year, so I'm excited to see them. You know, when I watched them, I'm like, man, I didn't realize they had that many players that were that good. Very interesting to hear from Kennedy Jet Smith. Uh, we'll leave it there on the Toronto Raptors. But when you come back, uh, we got to hit some of these Canadians because Benedict Matherin is, is starting to light it up a little bit with the Pacers. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander uh, just torched his former team, the Clippers. So we'll get to the rest of the Canadian stories. But you, uh, you teased us enough with the Raptors, and we appreciate it. Seven Billy, baby. Seven Billy. (laughs) That's what we're all working towards, my friend. There is Kenny the Jet Smith going to answer his door and get the Amazon package that just came. On the other side, Felix Ojeleasim has been red hot of late, and he made quite the proclamation after his match today. Plus, Carolyn Cameron, one-on-one with Canadian tennis legend Daniel Nestor as they showcase a new initiative from Tennis Canada. And Rogers. Next, right here on Tim and Friends. Tim and Friends continues. We'll hear from Carolyn Cameron, Felix Ojeeli Asim, Daniel Nestor, Sam Cosentino, and get you set for a busy night on the ice with six Canadian teams in action tonight. Kenny the Jet Smith, though. Previous segment talking big about the Raptors, mm-hmm. Jesse Rubin. So yeah, I, I just so you made the point that um the Pistons teams of years past, they had they didn't have the MVP, but they had a spread out roster that ended up winning. And it got me thinking to Michael Grange put out this quote that Gary Trent had last night after last night's game. He mm-hmm. said, we put our five against anybody's five. We should be good. So when you hear what Kenny has to say about the Raptors and then you hear what Gary Trent has to say, do you not feel like there's this confidence that the Raptors have in this team that maybe they didn't have last year, and whether that comes from 
another year of having Scotty develop in the offseason and Pascal clearly taking a little bit of a leap here and Gary doing what he did last night. Do you not think that they're starting to build this sort of momentum that maybe was lacking over the last couple of years? Here's, here's the difference in what you're saying and what I believe. Mm-hmm. Last year they, they had similar wins, but they had to use their five and more specifically their two way too much to get those wins. Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing now is significant contributions from others that will ease the burden on that five so that when you get to the moments where it's about the five, the five is fresh and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's interesting because Pascal, you know, I played 38 minutes last night, and a couple games ago, Fred and Pascal were again right near the top of the league mm-hmm. in terms of minutes. But when you start playing like the 36, 37, 38, right. I think that's sort of the wheelhouse that the Raptors would like and fans would like to see yeah. them playing a little bit less. But the, the bench still hasn't always come yet. It's My five eyes games, were but. open when Milwaukee won the championship and they decided let's, like, let's ease the burden on Giannis. When he's in, best player mm-hmm. on the planet. Mm-hmm. He's really good. We're not going to play him 40 minutes, 42 minutes to get those wins. Yeah. And I think the Raptors might be there too. And to hear Kenny say what he said and to hear, as you're saying, what the Raptors might believe in themselves. Gary Trent Jr. Mm-hmm. said, yeah, there, there might be some, uh, some growing belief not only in Toronto but around the NBA. Yeah. All right, let's get to tennis. And Felix Auger-Aliassime is playing maybe the best tennis of his life. He's won back-to-back tournaments, ninth in the world, and was looking for a tenth straight win, taking on Serbian Miramar Ketsmanovic, the easiest name combo in all of sports, Felix Auger-Aliassim taking on Miromir Ketsmanovic at the Swiss Indoors in Basel. Felix won the opening set 6-1, second set, triple break point, another big forehand winner. Later in the set, now up two breaks, showing off the full repertoire, U.S. to the U.S. SR. How about this backhand drop shot? He needed just 49 minutes, 26 seconds to win his 10th straight match and advanced to the quarterfinals 6-1-6 love. And he had some confidence himself, Jesse, when talking about this match. I mean, honestly, uh, no, it's tough to, to play better than that from, from my part. Uh, I mean, for sure the best match uh, I've played in my whole life. Not my career, but I think since I'm a, since I'm a little kid. So... Uh, Best match I've played in my career. That's unbelievable. I mean, 6-1-6 love against a certifiable pro. Like, I mean, I think Miro is 28th in the world. That's crazy. I mean, confidence. You said it. It's that certainly bodes well for the future. My, my old man spent a lot of time in sports. Mm-hmm. He's 84. He played some minor pro hockey, coached kids his entire life, and he constantly talks about confidence mm-hmm. and instilling confidence in kids and how even at the pros they need it. And Felix got there before and hadn't won. I wonder if, and I know they're only 250s, and I know they're not the they're not the big tournaments. But that confidence that you get from winning those kinds of tournaments... Can't be a bad thing. Look out. Uh, It has been exciting to see a fresh crop of young Canadians lighting up the tennis scene lately. And that success is due in part to an added emphasis on development in this country. In this country, excuse me. And to programs like Covered Courts, an initiative between Tennis Canada 
and Rogers, making the game of tennis more accessible to Canadians year-round. Before there was Felix Auger-Aliassime or Leila Annie Fernandez or Bianca Andreescu, there was Daniel Nestor, winner of 12 Grand Slam doubles titles, an Olympic gold medal, and a long list of impressive accomplishments that have placed him on the International Tennis Hall of Fame ballot for 2023. He joined Carolyn Cameron at Premier Racquet Clubs for a ribbon-cutting ceremony in Markham, Ontario. Historically, it's been difficult to find indoor tennis courts in Canada, but Rogers, in partnership with Tennis Canada, they're looking to change that over the next seven years, building 130 indoor courts and up to 30 facilities. And this is the first one that's opened here in Markham. Daniel, before the Grand Slams, the Olympic gold, you were just a kid playing tennis. How important was having an accessible indoor facility to your growth? It was huge. I mean, I started off in a bubble too, uh, modest uh, beginnings, and uh, but I had the opportunity, which was great. And you know, we have a lot of momentum right now in Canada, and uh, you know, we we need to continue. We don't have enough of these. This is a great initiative, but we need more. And hopefully, this is uh, just going to kickstart more opportunities. Yeah, when you think of how much the sport has grown in Canada, especially at the professional level in the last decade. How much does having facilities like this with the kids in the background playing help of what tennis could be in this nation, both professionally and at the recreational level? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be huge because, uh, I mean, I hear stories, my, my daughters play, and I hear stories from kids in, you know, smaller towns that, you know, that don't get the same opportunities. And, and you know, the demand is very high right now at all levels, like, like you mentioned. And, and especially at the junior level, we need, uh, you know, more Felixes, more Dennises, more Biancas and, and Genies. And, and this is just going to help. Uh, you know, you, you look behind us. There are kids that are out here uh, during the day. They're motivated. They're playing. And uh, we need we need opportunities for everyone. And uh, you know, we're going to keep having great players as a result. Okay. So now in retirement, you are officially a tennis dad. But you also just got news recently that you're on the ballot for the 2023 International Tennis Hall of Fame. What did it mean to you when you heard that? I mean, it's pretty special. I'm, I'm never taking myself that seriously. So I see the names that are involved and, uh, you know, I'm not really sure if I belong on that list, but it's it's just a nomination right now. It's on induction. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, put a lot of years into it and hopefully, uh, you know, it's nice to be recognized. That's all. Well, thanks very much. And thanks for all the thanks. work you continue to do. Thank you. Uh, thank you to Carolyn, too, for pulling double duty today. She'll be hosting mm -hmm. Hockey Central tonight, 630 Eastern, coming up in just a bit. Uh, there's a bubble in and around my neighborhood, and I know for a fact there's like a year-long waiting list just to really? get membership to the bubble. So to learn more about the year-round community tennis court program, you can visit rogers.com slash covered courts. There's a need. Year long. Yeah. Oh, at least. At least. I was told there's no chance, basically. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, do you know who I am? And they said yes, <laughs> and we don't care. Right. All right. After the break, we hit the ice. Ten games on the schedule tonight. Six Canadian teams will visit with Dan Murphy in Seattle as the Canucks look for their first win of the season. Plus, Sammy Kyes as we go around the horn in the NHL. Time for real sports talk with Jim McCallum and friends of the show. Muchas gracias, Sheepdogs. Back here for another final half hour on Tim and Friends. Hockey Central takes over 6.30 Eastern with Carolyn Cameron fresh off the tennis court, Justin Bourne and Jamal Mares. Then it's the Bruins hosting the wing. The Red Hot 
Boston Bruins mm-hmm. hosting the Wings, who have played pretty good so far. And Brad Marchand back in the lineup earlier than expected. So the rich get richer in Boston. More on that a little later on. Plus, Sam Cosentino joins in a couple minutes to set up the jam-packed night of action. The Canucks desperate for a win. Their first of the season as they face the Kraken in Seattle. You can see it regionally on Sportsnet Pacific. Thatcher Demko will get the start tonight. First of back-to-back for the Canucks. They host the Penguins tomorrow in Vancouver with more. Dan Murphy with the team in Seattle. Dan. Tim, hello from Seattle where tonight the Canucks will once again go for their first win of the season. You know they're the last remaining winless team in the National Hockey League. 0-5-2. Bruce Boudreaux is stuck on win number 599 for his coaching career. Tonight I believe it's his ninth attempt. Ninth to try to get win number 600. Now the players, coaches, management have all talked ad nauseum about this slow start and what it's going to take to get a win. But that didn't stop us from asking them again today. I would say it every day as I don't really want to be, but um, you know, I think if you sit here and sulk and try not to move past, you're, you're never going to get out of it. Um, you know, guys are trying to keep the spirits high, but at the same time, we, we know that you know, we really have a job to do. You know, we're getting a little restless in here. We want to win. We know this team has more um, inside this locker room, and um, it's on us to, to bring that and take it to the next level. I think anytime it's a divisional game, we, you pay a little more attention to it. I mean, and uh, and tonight's no no difference. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, we win, we're ahead of Anaheim, <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's uh, little victories are a thing. But we, I think for the group psyche, we just need to have a win. Now, most people felt Vancouver's blue line was a weak spot going into the season. So keep that in mind when I tell you that Quinn Hughes is not available for tonight's game. He's day-to-day. Also not making the trip, Riley Stillman, Tucker Pullman, and Travis Dermott. Those three are out indefinitely. As for Brock Besser, he's not a defenseman, but he is not at Climate Pledge Arena either. So, tough times for this Canucks team. Tim? Without a doubt, Murph, without a doubt. Uh, meanwhile, at least continue their road trip. They're a little south of Seattle and San Jose. Taking on a struggling shark squad. You can see it's Sportsnet Ontario regionally later tonight. Leafs offense in the bottom third of the NHL. Start the season. So they're shuffling the lines. That's right. Alex Kerfoot jumps onto the top line with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Second line's been pretty good. In fact, they've basically driven the Leafs. So it remains the same. Young Cook. Which was how I've heard that you actually pronounce his name. One more time. Kale Youngkrook. Mm. Moves the center and will play with Michael Bunting and the returning Dennis Malgin. Uh, Zach Aston Reese also draws back in with Wayne Simmons out. Eric Shalgrim will, uh, will get the start in goal with Ilya Samsonov under the weather. Mitch Marner looking for quick start tonight. Quick start. For us, we just got to make sure we get going here. Um, you know, we, we weren't happy with that last game. We gave up way too many opportunities, like I said, after the game. Um, score probably could have been a lot different with those Sammy Nets. So for us, just making sure we're being smart in front of uh, Charlie here. And, um, you know, he's made some massive saves when he's in net. But for us, it's just making sure it's uh, trying to make it as easy as possible for him. The Oilers looking to follow up last night's win in St. Louis as they head to Chicago to face the Hawks. You can see that one regionally on Sportsnet West. Jack Campbell back in net after Stuart Skinner. Look good in last night's win. Well, the Hawks, supposedly tanking, have won four 
straight game. Elsewhere, the Canadians are in Montreal, to, or excuse me, are in Buffalo to face the upstart Sabres. Still no Uri Slavkovsky for the Habs. The Senators hosting the Wild, looking for a fifth straight win. Cam Talbot did practice today as he edges closer to a return. And the Jets are in LA to face the Kings before heading to Mullet Arena for a game with the Coyotes tomorrow. Joining me now from the home office in suburban Toronto is the one and only Sam Cosentino. Sammy, have you ever rocked the mullet? Uh, without question. <laughs> and the way it's going, like looking on Instagram yesterday, you know, uh, Hillary working on my hair there, and I'm thinking very strongly about rocking it again real soon. Oh, are you? I mean, you got the handlebar mustache. You add a mullet to that, my friend, and you are the ultimate hockey analyst. <laughs> yeah, look at the hair, look at the stash, don't listen to the crap I'm spewing. Right, right. I, I wish I could I wish I could grow the mullet. Uh all I got is the skullet. All right, so <laughs> Sammy boy, are you tired of talking about the Canucks and what they need to do? Because it feels like Murphy was kind of sort of done talking about the Canucks. It seemed like the Canucks were kind of sort of done talking about the Canucks. Even Patrick Alvine yesterday, who hasn't shown up a lot. Felt like he was tired when talking about the Canucks. I'm not tired. I'm talking about Connor Bedard and the Canucks. <laughs> I can never get tired of that when it comes to the draft. And that's, a, a listen, the, the longer this thing goes, it's going to have to start to be the conversation. Um, you know, unprecedented things when uh, Craig Ruby took over St. Louis back in 2018 to go on and win the Cup. But that's the kind of hole that the Vancouver Canucks have dug themselves already. And with all the injuries they have, yeah, they might win a game tonight. They might win one, their next one. But really, you know, over the course of the next two to three weeks, how much better do you really see it, this thing getting? And at the start of the year, I was I was bullish on Vancouver. I liked Demko and goal. I liked to get a start in Hughes on defense. Patterson looked like he got it turned around last year. So you have those three pillars, one at each position, to help carry them forward. And then you get Miller signed after the year he had. Besser signed long-term. you got to think that those guys are feeling comfortable. Yeah, was the back end maybe a little bit deficient? But that's something I think Jim Rutherford could go out and address during the, the course of the year. But the way that this start has happened, I think the talk – we're very close at turning that talk around uh, to getting into the Connor Bernard sweepstakes. Well, the first time I heard people talking about rebuild and I heard the name Connor Bedard I called Sam Cosentino our NHL draft insider like it's not just Bedard is it like if if, if in the end any of the Canadian teams or anyone watching a fan of their team if they end up in the top half of this draft it seems like there's a few names here isn't there? Yeah, it, it's awesome. It really sets up to be an unbelievable draft. And I know scouts have been touting this probably for the last couple of years. I mean, you know, mo for the most part coming out of COVID, also, although some of these players would have been affected by it, some of them on the positive front to be able to heal up to, a little bit, to be able to train in ways that they haven't trained before by doing it alone or doing it through video. And so some of them, I believe, have benefited from that time off. But when it comes to this draft, I'm looking at Connor Bedard. Matt Vay Mitchkoff is an interesting character. Obviously, the geopolitical issues are going to play um, a part in that. Also, his contract, which is another three years at uh, Scott St. Petersburg, which is, uh, you know, that's a difficult thing to have to operate around. But put Mitchkoff aside, and then we get into Adam, Adam Fantilli, Toronto-born kid playing at the University of Michigan, on fire to start his freshman season. Then you look at Leo Carlson, and this is a really sneaky guy for me. This Leo Carlson who plays in Sweden at about a point per game playing in the SHL, 6'3", 190 pounds, moves like the wind, has a nice blend of being able to pass and shoot the puck. 
So there's four guys. So if you're thinking about who's in the running, is it going to be Chicago? Is it going to be Arizona, Anaheim? Is it going to be Vancouver? You're sitting pretty comfortably that if you're in the race for Bedard, which is about a 20% chance, the fallback situation is really good. And so after those four guys, I think there is a slight tier uh, drop. And now you get into the Braden Yagers of the world, the Zach Benson's of the world, who are really super skilled guys and who I believe definitely deserve to be in that top 10. So there is a fallback position, should it not be Connor Bedard. Right. And we haven't really seen that fall uh, fallback position present itself in drafts the last couple of years. Right. So if it is indeed a tunnel in Vancouver, there is some light at the end of the tunnel with how deep this draft is. Uh, at the top especially. All right, so so let's shift our focus. Last night, the Oilers on Scotiabank Wednesday Night Hockey again tonight in Chicago. I said at the top of the show, Sammy, that I thought that this was a game that the Oilers in the past, I don't know, decade lose. Like the way that St. Louis plays and played last night was just waiting for the Oilers to make a mistake that they never made. Yeah, you know what, though? I thought the Oilers were awesome. For the first 15 minutes of that game, they were getting great breakouts. They were winning all the puck battles, yet they only had one goal. And right. you can see on that one power play, I think it ended up resulting in Dreisaitl playing a four-minute and 53-second shift at the end of the power play because he couldn't get off. And Jay Woodcroft knew that, hey, this is going to be a slugfest. We're going to try and get that two-goal lead to feel a little bit more comfortable. When that didn't happen and St. Louis scored at the end of the period, Jammer looks at me, Stewart, you're looking at me like, guys, that's that's not a good sign. I'm really anxious to see how the Edmonton Oilers are going to respond here. And their response was awesome. And Jammer talked about it a lot in the post game. He's like, they were patient. They stuck to the plan. Yeah. They didn't play frustrated. You know, they caught a bit of a break with the Yamamoto non-call that ended up going back the other way and, and ended up being the deciding goal. But good on the Oilers for being able to show that resiliency in a game that probably you and I and a lot of people thought that last year, Dumbing it down by St. Louis, low event game, low scoring game. You know, is it going to be that kind of grind? They did a great job sticking with the plan. I thought that was a real statement win for the Edmonton Oilers last night. All right, let's fire through some of the other Canadian teams while we got some time. Leafs in San Jose tonight. Uh, much consternation about the Leafs scoring. Listen, if they're not going to be a great defensive team, they can't be in the lower third in the NHL in scoring, and that's exactly where they are right now. Do you like the shuffling of the lines, or does it kind of sort of seem like a little desperation early? Nah, for me, it's just a matter of getting getting the big guy going. I think the whole offense keys off what uh, Austin Matthews is able to do. And it's only a matter of time because when he scores once, he'll probably score 12 times in the next 15 games or 12 times in the next 10 games. And that will really set the tone for the rest of the offense. You know, one thing that I think is a little bit different this year, if you look at a team that led the league in faceoffs last year at about 58 59%, that number is down to 52%. And while that might not seem like a drastic number, that puts them in the middle of the pack and means you're starting with the puck less often. And for a team that plays that puck possession style of game, that's a, that's a highly important element to their game. And so that's something that could show improvement. When that comes along, the big guy starts to get going. This is not a team I'm worried about until the middle of April, to be perfectly honest gotcha. with you. I think they are that good. I got to get you. All right, so the Senators, um, they're trying to prove that they're that good. Uh, big loss with Josh Norris, but looking for a fifth straight win tonight with Cam Talbot inching closer to a return. What's the overall outlook for you in Ottawa after four wins in a row and then the Norris news? Yeah, the Norris news sucks. It always seems like just when this team starts to get on track, something like that happens. Now, having said that, 
you know, the emergence of Shane Pinto can't be understated yeah. here. This guy is awesome, and what a great pick. Trent Mann and his staff for the Ottawa Senators uh, made a great pick there, which I believe I think was in the in the second yeah, round yeah. of the draft. He was injured. We didn't get to know him well. He's a beast. This guy is a sleeper Calder Trophy winner. I love what he brings to the table. So he should help mitigate some of the loss of Norris. Having said that, you get Talbot back in. You get the one-two goalie combination that they were thinking of at the start of the year. And I like their depth. I also like some of the veteran presence they've added. This is kind of the team that DJ Smith has been looking for since he took that job. Uh, the, the Buffalo Sabres are hosting the Montreal Canadiens tonight. I, I've been watching them go through Western Canada, and I can't help but think that Buffalo might be ready to take a big step here. I, I agree, and that was the team that I picked that I thought might be underrated at the start of the year when we did our poll. And when I'm looking at their team, I think they have size. They play with speed. They get the pucks first. What I really appreciate most about this group is the synergy they seem to have with their coaching staff. Then you add a guy like Anderson who comes back in goal. I think he's accepted that mentorship role. Eric Comrie, really underrated guy. Attention to detail. This guy's got his eye on the prize. Perfect guy to be in that tandem with Anderson. And I look at their D, pretty good. Darlene, Power, Samuelson, although he's out for a bit. I like what's going on there, and I give Kevin Adams a lot of credit for the things he's done. He stuck his nose out in the line. The Eichel yep. deal, he gets it done. Samuelson, he gets criticized for. I love what Kevin Adams has done here. Don't sleep on the swords. All right, one more for you, and I don't know if there was more pressure on any single player group than there was on the Winnipeg Jets going into the year. Uh, a lot of the future of this team depended on what they did. And listen, it's been a, a little bit of a different start given what's happened with Rick Bonus. But what do you make of the Jets so far as they go into L.A. to face the Kings? Just okay. Just okay. Yeah. I, you know, I want to see Bonus behind the bench and really start to have an impact in his ability to manage a game. And that's to take nothing away from Scott Arneal. But you nope. just don't want that distraction. Um, they're a good hockey club. Their top six should be as good as just about anyone in the league. They, they really are when they're all healthy. The back end, I like, you know, Hellebuck, if he can return to that form, which he saw five or six years ago or three or four years ago, then I think they got a real shot. But this is a team that needs to kind of find its way, find some win streaks. I always find with this hockey club, they might win two and everyone gets excited, might win three out of five, everyone's excited. They need to go on a run, like six, seven games, win seven out of nine. Some sort of serious run that gets the confidence of the group, the fan base, and people like me talking about them a lot more because I, I do believe they have the, the ability to do it. Uh, not many dudes that I can roll through the entire NHL with like that. Thanks a lot, Sammy. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Sam. Good to see you. Uh, there Still is it, Sam Cosentino from – oh, did we cut him off? <laughs> what was he going to say at the end there? I mean, maybe something about a mullet? Oh, uh, Scullet. Scullet. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I keep saying if I lose a bet, would you shave your head? Because I'll grow out the skullet. Yeah, I, I used to if, shave my head all the time. If someone shaved their head, Sixero would never say yes to this, ever. So if we get a bet, maybe the payout is I grow the skullet versus you shaving that. Now, it would have to be a significant bet. Like, we would have to have a real tiff to set that one up. Mm -hmm. But that might be the payout. I would be okay with that. Yeah? Yeah. Why right. not? Well, let's, let's, put why not? The, let's put that in Dobby, the back Dobby's pocket. Dobby's talking to me saying, don't do it. <laughs> don't, do, don't do it, man. All right. Maybe, maybe I'll yeah. get someone else in on that one. Donovan Bennett, would he shave his like head? how? No, I mean, shave your head like Uncle Timmy. Like with a like with a blade. Like damn. I would, I would accept the one clip from Gus. I think I'd be fine with that.
It wouldn't look good. I have a big head. <laughs> All right, time for one last break. We'll I dive a little lose. deeper into the night <laughs> as we do game time next year on Tony Friends. We'll discuss. We'll discuss. <laughs> Game day starts right here on Tim and Friends, and it is a busy one tonight. Coming up 7 Eastern on Sportsnet, we've got the Red Wings and the Bruins. Plus, we've got the Oilers and Blackhawks, Canucks and Kraken, Leafs and Sharks, all regional action. Plus, a pair of basketball games on the network and a pair of pretty good ones. Mavs visit the Nets, and the Heat take on the Warriors. But first, it's game time. Yes, it is game time, Timmy. As you mentioned, a very busy night on the network. And before we hand things off to Carolyn Cameron and Hockey Central, let's focus in on the games you'll be watching tonight and get you caught up with everything that you need to know. Nice. Red Wings and Bruins coming up on Sportsnet. Boston is off to a great start this season, winning six of their first seven games. Like, when are they not playing well? And they'll get a, a boost tonight as Brad Marchand, yeah, I guess that's true, yeah. returns to the lineup. Marchand underwent surgery on both of his hips in May and was expected to be out until late November or later, but he always believed he'd be back sooner. As soon as they, it, it came up that I was going to have a surgery, they told me it was going to be kind of end of November. Um, I was like, it's not going to be end of November. It's like CPR, though, on this franchise. Didn't it look like they had turned the corner? Everyone was getting old. And listen, Pasternak's a great talent, but mm -hmm. it didn't seem like they were going to be back in the top part of the Atlantic Division. But you start the way they did, with Pasta playing the way he did, and then add Marchand, like, they could be right back there. It's just, I don't know how they keep it going year after year. I don't either. Uh, the Oilers will play the second half of back-to-backs tonight in Chicago. It is a rebuilding year for the Blackhawks, but after an 0-2 start, they won four in a row, including a 4-2 win over the Florida Panthers on Tuesday. Now, it's widely expected that Chicago will look to trade Patrick Kane and maybe even Jonathan Taves this season. Would that change if they keep winning, Jesse? Absolutely not. No, no there's, there's no chance. I don't think you trade Alex Dabrinkit when... You're, among you're starting, others. you're among others, when you're starting a rebuild and then cop out when you're starting to play well with a team that has a 34-year-old and 35-year-old in Kane and Taves. You've got to get something for those guys. I know they have no move clauses, but they're going to get to pick and choose where they want to go. It would be a massive mistake to just have a little bit of success because ultimately, what are they going to, to accomplish even if they start to play well? I, I don't play. mind if they hung on to Captain Sirius, if Jonathan Taves wanted to stay mm -hmm. the Chicago Blackhawk his entire life, but it feels like Kane has a lot to give yeah. to another team. Although I will say this, three goals in six games for Johnny Taves. He had 12 all the last year. It's good for, for the Blackhawks. Right. Because then they'll get more for them. Right. All right, uh, speaking of rebuilding, mm. It is a word here we're hearing more and more around the Canucks mm -hmm. after their disastrous strikes of the season. GM Patrick Alvin was asked about it yesterday. It's interesting the rebuild word. I've been part of uh, um, a rebuild. I came in late uh, in a previous organization and, and uh, we were able to rebuild and, and win three cups. Uh, um, I still think that we're uh, we're building something here um, every day. Uh, we're not done. Uh, uh, I think that was something that we want to accomplish this summer too. Uh, uh, changing the culture, raising the bar, uh, having higher standards and, and 
uh, bringing younger players, character players, and, and making sure we're always looking at the options here. It's almost poetic with the rebuilding or building going on in the background. Yes. Uh, we talked about this yesterday, but after having 24 hours to think about the Canucks situation, do you feel any differently? Here's the one thing that I wish I had said yesterday, and I say this to you mm -hmm. often, you're asked something live on the air, and then, you know, an hour on the ride home, like, wait a second, didn't they double down in the offseason? Like, didn't, we've heard over the last couple of days, Rutherford and Alvin talk about either the rebuild or what they need to transition to, or like, they re-signed JT Miller to a long-term deal that Nick Kiprio sat here and said is probably unmovable. Mm -hmm. Like, Besser, there, there's pieces of this team that they could have walked away from, they didn't, and now they're talking about the re- it, it, it feels, once again, like they're halfway there, and to fans of that team, that's damning, right? Like, I just, I feel like if, if this was the case all along, why'd you double down? It was, I remember the day, I remember the day that they signed JT Miller, yeah. my gut reaction was like, that's, that's strange. That's weird. Because yeah. we didn't see it coming no, as a, we as a hockey be, community. Yeah, we thought it was going to be a deal. Right. And Unless they think strange. they can deal that contract, but Kipper did not think that no, they could. No, he's going to have to, like Taves and Kane, play pretty well if they're going to be able to move back. Yeah. Uh, okay, the, we talked a lot about the temporary visiting dressing room at Mullet Arena for the Arizona Coyotes. Yes. We have the latest look at, uh, I guess, the building and construction of it. And oh, it's not, <laughs> it's not bad. so bad. I mean, maybe we jumped the gun a little bit by showing the well, video from... But hold on a second here. Just <laughs> take curtains. away the lockers and the chairs, and all you saw was a carpenter and some <laughs> curtains, and it looked like a blood donor. It still <laughs> kind of exactly sort of does like. look like... This was yesterday, what we saw, and it looked like a blood donor clinic. Now, obviously, they've done some work. It looks a little better, but I'm going to be honest with you. This is just four games. Jets will be in there tomorrow. Would you feel comfortable as a team talking about your tactics in that room? Ooh, that, I didn't think about that at all, actually. Probably not. No. But, like, who cares? You're playing the Coyotes. Does it even matter? For the Leafs, it does. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's, that's amazing. I remember um, what I told you I, used to, I played at the Corral Center during they, the intermission. to Arizona. That's right, yeah. No, yeah. yeah. I should have given you a giggle. <laughs> um, at the Corral Center, that is exactly what it looked like, in, when, like when, when we got dressed. Yeah. Like, and we were 12 years old. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Uh, okay, our NBA doubleheader on Sportsnet 1 begins with the Mavs visiting the Nets. The Mavs are off to a 1-2 and two start of the season, but each of their losses was by two points, and in both games, Luka Doncic had a chance to win with a three-pointer in the final seconds. Despite those misses, Luka remains the co-favorite to win the MVP, along with Giannis. I know you got to be quick here, but Timmy, you like your futures bets. Have you sprinkled on Luca at plus 450? No, not enough value. Luca, Luca should be the favorite and is the favorite along with Giannis. Although, I think there is some value in Giannis and Ja Moran. Ja every day is going yeah. down. If every day. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. 750 two days ago. I jumped on it. I do have Benedict Matherin yeah. to win rookie of the year, though. That's not bad, right? All right, kids. That does it for us. Time for Hockey Central with Carolyn Cameron, Justin Bourne, and Jamal Mares. Thank Jesse Rubinoff, thank Kenny and Jed Smith, Sam Cosentino for dropping by. Have a great night. We hope to talk to you again tomorrow.